Well, we know today is the second Sunday uh, in this new year, 2013. And we also know that it is the second Sunday in, um, in um, our I Resolve sermon series, thinking about the resolution time that we make during this time. I don't know what your resolutions for 2013 might be, but I can tell you the top 10 from 2012. They were to lose weight, get organized, spend less and save more, enjoy life to the fullest, stay fit and healthy, learn something new and exciting, quit smoking, help someone else achieve their dreams, fall in love, and spend more time with family. And there again, while those are great resolutions from 2012, there still is nothing that's related directly to uh, searching after God, seeking after God's heart, learning more about God, becoming deeper, uh, growing deeper in our faith and relationship with Christ. And so that's why I'm looking at these uh, series of messages in uh, January entitled, I Resolve. And last week we looked at 2 Corinthians 5.21 that said, I resolve to be a new person. And today the resolution is about being committed to the church. I resolve to be committed to my church. I think in uh, 36 and a half years of pastoral ministry and preaching, I've probably preached on the subject of the church more than anything else. Now, the reason for it is, is because I love the church. I love being in the life of the church. I grew up in church. I came to know Jesus doing church. Uh, I came to love and appreciate life in the church. I understood clearly that Jesus came and said, on this rock I will establish my church. And we know that Jesus has given to us, the church, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And only the church has been commissioned to proclaim the gospel, the good news, the kingdom of God. And Jesus has also promised us that the church will not be defeated, that the gates of Hades will not defeat the church. And whenever I think about life in the church, I think about two verses out of the Psalms. One out of Psalm 122 and one out of Psalm 69.9. The psalmist said in 122, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And the other one out of Psalm 69 says, zeal for your house consumes me. I just cannot imagine a believer who has a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ, who would not be excited about life in the church, and who would not want to be here and be filled with zeal about the relationship with Christ. It just boggles my mind, but yet we know the reality of that. Even perhaps in the life of our church, it's pro pretty well represented all over the Southern Baptist Convention, all over the United States. And probably less than half of any membership is present on any given Sunday. But I think if there was that commitment, uh, resolving to be committed to my church, I think that there would be a deeper sense of appreciation about church life and understanding why it's so important. See, I can't imagine life without being part of the local church. I, I just can't imagine that. I mean, enjoying the fellowship of people uh, who know Christ as well and worshiping with them, serving with them, uh, being with them through the experiences of life. And I always have to remind myself that the church is the only channel that God has ordained for His children to connect with one another. There's no perfect church, never has been and never will be. And that's because we are imperfect people, even through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we live in an imperfect world. But one day, everything will be made perfect. 
Now, we come to think about the image of the church. I think there are three uh, very powerful images that the Bible uses to describe the church. The first one is as the bride of Christ. That we as believers in Christ are the bride of Christ. And that Jesus is the bridegroom. And He will come one day and claim His bride, which is the church. The second image that comes to mind is that of a building. The church is described as a building of Christ. And Jesus is both the foundation and the chief cornerstone. And we are the living stones in that building. But I think the most common and the best illustrated throughout the Bible in the New Testament about the church is that we are the body of Christ. And Jesus is the head and we are like the body parts in the life of that church. Now if you look with me at our scripture in Ephesians 4, we'll see how the Apostle Paul describes uh, how that body functions or a portion of how we function as the body of Christ. In chapter 4 of Ephesians verse 11, uh, he, he writes these words, It was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, if we really take time and analyze what, what Paul talks about, we, we see that he really does describe the church as a body that functions well, where every part of that body is functioning at a at maximum capacity, and every portion, every ligament is doing what it's supposed to do. And it's a reminder of how all of us come together to make up the church. And I want to give you four reasons why you need to be committed hooked up into uh, the life of the church and in Bible study and all that we offer. The first is because church is where we experience genuine fellowship. I want to read three brief passages and see if you can find the common word in all of them. In Matthew 18, 20, Jesus said, For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. In Acts 2, 44, Luke writes and says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. And then in Ephesians, Paul writes in verse uh, 16 of chapter 4 and says, From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now what's the common word all the way through those three? The word together. So that describes the church that we are people who are together in Christ. We have a common bond in Jesus Christ and we come together to be his body. And we work together to function as a body. And that's why, what we should experience when we're connected to the church. Our fellowship is more than just uh, a cookies and Kool-Aid in the fellowship hall, fellowship center, or whatever we want to do. Whether it's a dessert fellowship or you know, following a Bible study or whatever. But fellowship is what the early church joined in when they experienced a, what the Bible called koinonia. That they were joined together for a common cause. 
And that's the fellowship that we share. And the Bible teaches us, particularly in the New Testament, that there's no such thing as a closet Christian or a lone ranger, but that we're all supposed to be together. Together we are the church and the body of Christ. Today we might not feel the danger that the early church felt and the need uh, for coming together as often as they did because of persecution. But we have that same sense of need in our own life, in our own body. I just can't imagine people who carelessly and indifferently don't think about life in the church and all that it benefits us. Now, Jesus used many different teaching methods. He was a perfect teacher. He would say things like, consider the flowers or look at the grass uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And then in Matthew 6, 26, Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. I think as we look there particularly at a flock of geese that that are in flight down south, I think we can learn some things from those geese as we think about the church. Have you ever noticed that about geese as they fly? Uh, they, they never migrate alone. They're always in that V-shaped formation. And you know why they do that? It's because something about all the vortex and the wingtip stuff and the wingspan and the, all those wings beating together and all like that allows them as they fly in formation to go 71% farther than any single goose could do on his or her own. Now, how did those geeks come to figure that out? It was built into them. They did it by instinct because that's the way that God made them. And I don't understand why we have so many people who won't come to Bible study, who don't want to come to the fellowship of the church, who don't want to fellowship with other believers who don't want to join in on what God has called us to do because we can do so much more and do it so much better when we're all together. Sometimes God's creations and animals are smarter than we are. When they fly together in formation, they make the journey easier. And if a goose falls out of that formation, he doesn't experience that wingtip vortex and all the aided uh, wind draft and all of that that comes along. And so I want to suggest to you, if you've fallen out of fellowship and you're not in a Bible study class where people love you and pray for you and support you, you need to get in one. And if you're not really faithful to the life of this church, but you do it on a casual basis, you need to get committed to it because you can't do life alone. You need that encouragement and fellowship in the life of the church. Second reason you need to be committed to the church is because church is where we are equipped for ministry. When you look at verse 16, Paul says that the church grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Think about that. As each part does its work. You see, in the church, the body of Christ, God has a role for every member of the body, just like our human bodies. But you know what every report tells us in the life of most churches, most traditional churches? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people give 80% of the money. Now, let me ask you something. Where would you be today if your body was functioning only at 20% capacity? You'd be in ICU. And unfortunately, that's what happens to too many churches. They're in decline and headed towards death because that 2080 rule is alive and well. We have to overcome that and and do better than that. We've got to understand that when Paul talks about the fact that we are a body of Christ, then we all have different gifts and different abilities. I won't take the time to read it because if I do, we're going to go in overtime today. But Romans 12, 4 through 8, you look at that. Paul talks about different gifts that we have. And if you have those gifts, then use them in the life of the church. 
And one of the great reasons why is because people get burned out. They get burned out in teaching and serving and, and leading and all that the, um, we, we depend upon from volunteers and sometimes from staff in the life of the church. You got your, you got your commitment here, you got your commitment at work, you got your commitment at school, you got your commitment at home, and, and you, you like to have a little free time as well. And so it takes all of us, all the body parts working together to accomplish that. And Paul makes it clear in verse 12 of this chapter here in Ephesians that the role of pastors and teachers in that is to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. The works of service or the works of ministry, that's what we're supposed to be equipped to do. And see, that includes this role of pastors as well as all, uh, not only our staff, but others who teach. And Paul goes on to describe the result of that is, in verse 13, we find unity in faith measured by the fullness of Christ. And in verses 14 through 15, we see that that unity and maturity is strong as we stand against false teaching. And let me give you verse 16 again. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Everybody has a gift and everybody has something to contribute and there's a place for you to lead. We learn anything from our geese about that too? Yeah, I think so. So when you look at those geese and you see them flying in formation, that lead goose doesn't stay there the whole time. He gets tired because out front he doesn't benefit from that wind draft. So they have to swap and he'll drop back and somebody else will come into the lead. And so that's an example of how we need to see this in the life of our church. We have the ability to lead, we have the ability to teach, we have the ability to serve, then we need to take those roles. So that's where we are trained is here for our work of ministry. There's a third reason you need to resolve to be committed to your church. And it's because church is where we find encouragement for the journey of life. Let me read you a portion of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, His body, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us for the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now what he's talking about there is the right and the privilege that is ours to be a part of the body of Christ through the sacrifice that Christ made for us. And then in verses 24 and 25 he says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Verse 25 he says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, we're supposed to spur one another on. We're supposed to encourage one another in life. We're supposed to be able to stir up as other translations say other people in the life of the church. I like the way Eugene Peterson's message paraphrase says this. He says, let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging and helping each other, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. I like the way he words that. How inventive and creative can we be? 
You know one of the problems with the church today and why we're not any more effective in our culture today for reaching people? It's because in churches like us typically, we have to spend so much time and energy internally trying to stir up people to get into the life of the church, to be active, to be involved, to be a part of it, to grow, to mature, and so you can serve and minister. See, if we could take all that energy and time and focus it outward in the community, not having to uh, uh, promote the life of the church always, but knowing that people are going to be committed to it, we'd have more time and energy and resources for reaching our culture for Jesus Christ. Now, all of us need encouragement from time to time. Sometimes it's simply to encourage somebody to attend more faithfully. Sometimes it's to encourage people as they are beaten up by the process of life. Life can be tough, even in the best of times. And life in the church is designed to encourage one another. Let's look back at the flock of geese. Do they teach us anything about that as well? Absolutely. When you see a skein of geese flying through the air and migrating south, what do you normally hear from them? Do you hear them saying anything? Do they honk? Right, they honk. Honk. They honk. Now, do you think they just do that because that's the animal sound God's given to them? Some people have speculated with humor and said, that's a little one, a young one saying, are we there yet? <laughs> Some of them saying this, the mother goose saying, don't pass another stop uh, exit uh, with a rest stop because I got to go. But what ornithologists really think that goose or the geese are doing when they're honking is that they're encouraging one another. They're saying, come on, this is a long journey, it's a long flight, it's going to take a lot of energy and a lot of time, but we're all in this together. And that honk, honk, honk is encouraging one another. You know, about the only time I hear a honk, or you're going to hear a honk, is when you're sitting in a traffic light and the light turns green and you don't go, the person behind you honks. And most of the time that's because you're sitting there looking at your phone, checking your messages or email or whatever, or texting right? We need, we need to hear a little more honking going on for people to understand that we're being encouraged and we're supporting each other. Keep it up. Let's go. Come on. We can do this together. It's tough, but you can make it. You can do it. And the fourth reason I want to ask you to be resolved to the life of your church is because it's in church where we experience Christian compassion. Christian compassion. See, everybody needs at some time the connection of a church family. You need a shoulder to cry on when you hurt. You need a hand to pick you up when you fall. You need a hug when you need support. You need a tender word when you need comfort. We live in a culture where we suffer in ways never imagined. In the life of our church in about the last 18 months, we've experienced more deaths, I believe, than perhaps any time in the life of this church, 30-some years in existence of this church. And there's been that need for comfort and support and love and care that's being given. And I've seen you come together with Sunday school classes and the church body to minister to people, to encourage each other, to hug and to grieve with people when they grieve. And I love what Paul says in Romans 12, 15. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You see, that's life in the church. That's what we find. And I, I, I would suggest to you, you should find it at a level here that you don't find it anywhere else because it should be deeply spiritual when you comfort one another. 
Sometimes you find that as your Sunday morning Bible study group rallies around you when there's been a death or some kind of illness or a job layoff or whatever you've experienced in life and you need that comfort. Do our geese teach us anything about that? Yeah. When they're flying, making their pilgrimage downward, if one of them gets sick or one of them gets wounded like by a, a shot, gunshot, and they fall to the ground, two other healthy geese drop out of formation and they go down to the ground with that wounded sick goose and they stay with that goose until it either gets healthy and is able to rejoin the flight or until it dies. That's comforting in it. That's the way it should be in the life of the church. You do a great job of it. I had an experience this week that I never thought that I would have. It involved the funeral of Jim Spinelli, one of the members of our church uh, who was a colonel in the Army, served 30 years, graduate of West Point, retired while they were here. Uh, he had a battle with leukemia, and he died in October, and we did his memorial service here. Uh, and then he was to be buried at Arlington, and because he was a colonel, we got uh, a little bit of time worked out for that earlier than in most cases. And so we had his burial this week, and Greg Moser was the funeral home director for that, and uh, Wednesday, we journeyed up to Washington, D.C. Thursday afternoon, uh, we had the funeral for Jim, the burial. I, I have been to Arlington before. I, I just felt a sense of awe and patriotic pride as I walked on that hallowed ground and saw all those who had committed their life to honoring this country and serving this country. Over 400,000 men and women are buried there, the chaplain reminded us. Uh, I witnessed the changing of the guard at the tomb of the unknowns. And I felt so patriotic. But I really wasn't prepared, even though I'd done research, to see what I saw and experienced uh, with Jim Spinelli's funeral. The body was loaded, lo loaded onto uh, a horse-driven wagon called the Quezon. And there must have been probably 75 or so soldiers of different rank. There was a band that played and led us in our procession down to the gravesite. There was a, a rifle guard, honor guard. There was an honor guard that followed behind uh, the caisson with the body on it in the casket. And then I had the privilege of leading the family as we walked from that certain point down to the gravesite. And the band played. They went into another field as we set up for, for that time of burial. And everything was just absolutely a beautiful time. The folding of the flag and, and the trumpet sound and, and, the, and, the, and the rifle volley. And I happened to notice that uh, there was a, a general beside Lucinda Spinelli. And about that time, Greg Mosley sides up to me and he whispers to me and he said, we got somebody important here because we got secret service all over the place. Well, I noticed that that man had four stars on his shoulder. There was a man next to me in a black suit, white shirt, black tie, and sunglasses. And I whispered out the corner of my mouth, is that a four-star general? And he said, yes, it is. He said he's head of, head of national security. And we left from the gravesite, and we went to a reception. And these guys, who were classmates of Jim Spinelli's, started telling me their stories. And they said, I was his roommate our freshman year. In fact, that was the four-star general who gave the flag to uh, Lucinda. So we were freshman roommates. Well, knob year, I guess you call it. And they said, we were partners together, lab partners in med school. And on and on the stories went like that. And... Well, they, they, they came from all over the United States to be there and to grieve with Lucinda 
and to deal with the fact that they had experienced the death of a classmate. One family flew in from Colorado. A man lived in Orangeburg who had gone to school with Jim, and, and he drove. Now, a lot of them were retired and lived in the Washington, D.C., Virginia, Maryland area, but they came from upstate New York, and they were all willing and, and earnest to stand around and compliment us for coming up there and doing that personally rather than turning it over to a chaplain. Now, I'm not going to knock the chaplains for any reason at all, but I had one fellow come to me and he said, I've been to many, many funerals in this cemetery. I have never heard the gospel proclaimed until you did it today. And then uh, the guy who organized the glee club, the alumni glee club, who sang the alma mater at the end of the service, which was absolutely beautiful, stirring and moving, sent me an email last night thanking us, Greg Mosley and myself, for coming up and, and adding a personal touch to their beloved classmate and, and giving Jim the, the burial that he, that he deserved. And he said, I want you to know how, how honored and blessed we were to have you but also how blessed we were with the weather because the forecast called for it to be between 49 and 51 and raining. And it turned out to be a bright, beautiful, sunny day like today. But he said, we were also blessed to have present the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staffs, General Marty Dempsey, and to have the chairman of National Security Agency, General Keith Alexander. Now, they weren't there to toot their horn and do anything except to be there because Jim Spinella was a classmate of theirs. When I got that email last night, I looked at Cookie and I said, wow. I said, can you imagine that there we were with the Joint Chief of Staff and the Chairman of that and the Chairman of National Security? And I said, they never said a word to me about that. And Cookie said, well, what do you think? They don't have to. They're four-star generals. They got a thousand, you know what? I'm sure those two men had important things to do for our country that day. But nothing was more important for them at that hour than to be there for the funeral for their classmate, Jim Spinelli. That's comfort. That's compassion in it. And while we do a great job of compassionate work inside the life of our church, I would suggest to you that we need to move that compassion outside more often. Because, you see, I think there are a lot of people hurting out there who need compassion. They want to connect with people. Why do they carry cell phones that they can do everything on? You know, a smartphone. You can do all this stuff and text and email and stay in touch with people. Why do they carry iPads so that they can do the same thing? It's, it's because they really want to connect with people. But somehow in our culture, in our generation today, it's not that easily done. I think about how, how I hear people talking about television characters, you know, like people on Survivor, and they call them by name, and they cry when they get kicked off the island, or American Idol. You know, you follow that to the very end, and you, keep, you tell, keep me up to date about who gets kicked off, voted off for week after week. You know, American Idol starts this week, doesn't it? I'm sure some of you are going to watch that, and you're going to root for your person, and when he or she doesn't make it, you're going to cry. Just like I've seen women cry with soap operas on as if you really knew these people. Let me tell you, there are real people out there who need to be connected. They need to be connected with you. They need to be connected with Christ. They need to be connected to the church. Why don't we take that level of compassion and move it outward a little bit more into the community and find these people who need to be connected and show them Christian compassion. 
You see, I think one of the reasons why churches don't make as much of an inroad into the culture as we should is that people are looking for genuine, authentic Christian lifestyle. And that compassion that comes with it, that encouragement that comes with it, that edification that comes with it, and so they're turned off by the church. We need to get them turned on to the church. First of all, to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Then to the life of the church so they can grow in faith and then find a place for service and ministry and then be unleashed in the culture. Next week we'll talk about resolving to influence our community. But we need to take who we are and what we are out into the community and influence it. And let people know their life, their soul, their destiny is of great importance to us as the church. So this year I want to ask you to make a resolution to be committed to your church. I think God has great things in store for us, not only for 2013 but beyond. And we need to be sensitive to what he wants us to do. The exciting things happening. Work continues on the new student center. I think there are other opportunities that God will give to us for ministry and outreach. I just think we have to be attuned to what he wants us to do. And I ask you to be committed to your church. Bow with me. Father, we thank you that you gave us Jesus Christ to be our Savior and also through his death, burial, and resurrection established the church. And we thank you for the life that we have in this church at Spring Valley Baptist and for the way uh, that you have blessed us in our 30-some years of serving you. And Father, I pray that our people who are part of this body of Christ will resolve this year to be more connected to the life of this church than ever before. And we'll understand the significance and the importance of being here as a church so that we can have influence on our culture. And I pray, Father, now that if there are those who need to find a church home, that they would make a decision to join with us here. If there are those who need to know the loving care of the Savior Jesus Christ, that they would make that decision today. And that there would be all of us who would make that commitment, the resolution this year, to be more committed to our church so that we could open our lives to you and allow you to use us. And I pray it all in the name of Christ.